Good to see all of you here. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 55 here in a moment. There is this tale, it's a silly tale really, of a certain man who owned an elephant. He'd go from city to city wagering $100 that no one could make this elephant jump or nod his head up and down and side to side. He alleged that elephants could not be trained to jump or nod their heads up and down and side to side. But people tried anyways. And this man kept collecting money on his bets. One day, as his offer of $100 went out, this one man in a three-piece suit carrying a slick leather attache case took him up on the offer. This man then pulled out a slingshot and with an inch and a half roofing nail, walked behind the elephant, put the roofing nail in the slingshot, pulled the slingshot back and shot the elephant in the you-know-where. The elephant leaped, almost landing on the trainer and killing him. The trainer handed the man a three-piece suit and a hundred bucks. The trainer, almost dying from his situation, no longer took his act on the road. However, 20 years later, When he was low in cash, he took the same elephant on tour, again betting $100 to anyone who could make this elephant jump or nod his head up and down and and side to side. Once again, this man in a three-piece suit came out from the crowd. He was immediately stopped by the trainer. He said, oh, wait a minute. We know you can make him jump, but can you make him nod his head up and down and side to side? The man in the three-piece suit, he took out his slingshot. In an inch and a half roofing nail, he held it up to the elephant. He said, you see this? (laughs) The elephant nodded his head up and down. And do you want me to do it again? The elephant nodded his head side to side. And the man collected his hundred bucks. I told you it was a silly tale. I guess the memory of an elephant is, is a real thing. It actually is. But I want to apply that to us. When it comes to spiritual things, how's your memory? Remember the wrong things and forget the good things? How's your memory? I mean, are we in danger of forgetting, forgetting who we are, forgetting what we've been given, forgetting our God? We might say that the book of Isaiah, as we've been working through it, is really about people who have forgotten. And as we saw way back now at the beginning of our study in Isaiah, the opening words to the people identified this very issue. Chapter 1, verse 3, it's on the screen. The ox knows his master and the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand, Isaiah 1, 3. In other words, what he's saying there, they had forgotten who they are. They had forgotten their God. They had forgotten who God is and what God had in mind for them. Well, as we come to chapter 55 in our series on why we are here The words are written to people who are in exile because they had forgotten their God. And as we'll see this morning, God did not forget them. God cannot forget his covenant with his people. What he promises will be so 100% of the time. All right, look at me in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 55, as we're nearing the finish line of our study in this very rich book. 
Now, coming off of uh, what we looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 53, this could almost feel anticlimactic. Isaiah 53, you recall, uh, someone's described that as the Mount Everest of Isaiah. And it brought us to the highest point in this book. But, you know, since this is all God's word, what we have here in chapter 55 isn't any less potent or, or God-breathed, any, any less of benefit to our lives. And as a matter of fact, we would do well to keep chapter 53 in our minds as we come to chapter 55 this morning. In this one chapter, chapter 55, we see both the magnitude of God's grace and the transforming power of his word. This one chapter, we see both the magnitude of God's grace and the transforming power of his word. And there's not a person in this room for whom this passage is not relevant. All right, look at me, Isaiah chapter 55, and the great invitation. First of all, my first saying this morning is an invitation of grace. It's an invitation of grace. We'll notice here, God doesn't come to them with a slingshot and a nail. But in grace, in grace, look at verse 1, Isaiah chapter 55. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And you read that. And my first reaction is, you buy something that's free? Doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. Reminds me of, 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 of little five-year-old Morgan who loved to go to rodeos with their family. And not only did they watch the action, but they also had a table of literature for Cowboys for Christ Ministries. Well, at one of these rodeos, all the adult volunteers were busy and they were doing other things. And so they asked little Morgan to keep an eye on the table. Now, Morgan took her job very, very seriously. She'd call out as people who were walking by, if you want to buy anything, it's free. If you want to buy anything, it's free. And you go, well, how can something that you buy is free? How can you buy something without money? Well, this is where we need to stay connected to what we saw last week in Isaiah chapter 53. Because the only way is if someone else has paid for it. And someone else did pay for it, right? The servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, stood in for us. He took up our sins. He paid for our punishment on the cross in our place. That is what the gospel is all about. The invitation then here is not try harder. The appeal is not do this and go do that. The invitation here is, is not work like crazy to earn your way. The invitation isn't, well, do you see this slingshot? You want to be struck by it again? That's not the invitation. The invitation is simply come. Come. Come, all you who are thirsty. Now, this invitation of grace is so near to God's heart that God's final word to us in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it is whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. See, the problem isn't whether they are thirsty or not. 
I believe thirst and hunger are hardwired into us, spiritually speaking. There's something there. And as humans then, because that thirst and that hunger is is within us, we search the world for something that can satisfy those deepest longings within. And where does that leave us? I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. And boy, have we tried. Our world has infinite warehouse of unsatisfying but expensive solutions to fill those longings within. I mean, in this country, with all the stuff promising to bring us happiness, we should be deliriously happy. Are we? Your answer is no, but if I only had my life would be. If I only had, my life would be. What goes in those blanks for you? If I only had a mate, my life would be complete. If I only had a more loving spouse, my life would be fine. If I only had this person's approval, I would be happy. If I only had a, a different look or that newer version of what I already have or that, or that degree or that job or that acceptance, if I only had different kids, <laughs> yeah, my life would be satisfying. If I only had, my life would be. Be honest, how would you fill that in? Perhaps it's possessions. Maybe it's a certain achievement. Maybe it's winning something. Many years ago, my my son and I, Derek, participated in Fantasy Football League. And together we had one team. It was a, a good thing, mostly because we did it together. Even though it was long distance, he was in Maine and I was in New York. But we could do it together. And we would choose players uh, at the beginning of the week that we wanted in on a certain week and then hope those players played well, gave us points, and that would give us the win. Well, one year, one year, we chose our players well. And, and by we, I mean Derek did. <laughs> but we won the whole thing. We were the champs of this fantasy football league. That happened on a Sunday night, and on a Monday morning, I received a text from my son that said something like this. You know, Dad, I thought I'd be happier with winning the whole thing, but really, Dad, it wasn't that satisfying. It's kind of a letdown. I totally agreed. See, that's because no certain experience, no accomplishment, no romantic encounter, No affair out there, no possession, no trophy, no promotion. Nothing in creation has the capacity to fully satisfy your heart. Now that doesn't, that isn't to say there's no pleasure in this life. I can speak of many things just this past week that gave me tremendous pleasure. The problem is we're asking too much of that pleasure. Where someone else put it, what spoils the pleasures of life for us is our hunger to get out of them more than they can give. That's the rub. 
Movie icon Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt had this to say about his success. He said, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. You know, the car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence, isolation, desperation, and loneliness? Brad Pitt goes on. He says, I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. He says, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. That's a celebrity saying that. But it's not just for celebrities, is it? You might might have come in this room this morning and you're you're just dealing with smashed dreams. Your life might not be what you had hoped for at this point in your life. And you say, this is... I'm not satisfied. The thirsty describes the dissatisfied, the empty, the unfulfilled, the frustrated. And why do we keep searching for that satisfaction in all the wrong places? That's the question Isaiah asked, verse 2. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Isaiah is saying, we are not very smart shoppers. Jesus is the only answer to that thirsty soul. Knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus better is the food that satisfies. And when you taste him, you want to keep coming back for more of him. Are you feasting on the Lord? Well, God urges you to come and enjoy his spread that a soul will delight in the richest affair. That speaks to the quality of what God offers and the quantity and that there's plenty of it. God says, I have what you need and I want you to have it. So come and eat. Now suppose for Mother's Day, you made reservations at some restaurant. And you've chosen a fine restaurant, like McDonald's or something. No, you've done better than that, okay? And you, you sit down... And you you select that item on the menu that sounds just like what your taste buds want. So you order it, the waitress a few minutes later brings the delicious meal and and places that right in front of you. I mean, it it looks great. The smell, oh, it's fantastic. It would make no sense if you just sat there and looked at the meal for the next 30 minutes. It'd make no sense if you didn't eat it. God says, eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. In other words, you have to take it in. You can't just go look at it. You have to feed on Christ if it's to have any benefit in your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you, you think on him more often. You, 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 you kind of chew on his word more and more. You, you have an enjoyment of his abundance. The invitation of grace goes out to all. It's an invitation steeped in God's covenant to his servant David. I just want to touch on this briefly in the middle of verse 3. Isaiah tells the forgotten people that God remembers his covenant. He doesn't forget. Look what it says, middle of verse 3. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Now what? He's reiterating a promise he already gave. And what he's doing is reminding his people that their relationship with God is not dependent on their faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. 
And just like God will never back out of this arrangement with his people of Israel, his chosen people, he'll never back out on his promise to us. When we've received him, when we've, we've accepted him into our life, our relationship with God then is not dependent on he loves me, he loves me not kind of arrangement. The gospel is God's commitment to keep us to the very end. It begins with grace. It ends with grace. It's grace all the way through. It's an invitation of grace. All right, let's talk about an invitation with an RSVP. Invitation with an RSVP. Now, we've all received an invitation maybe to a wedding, some event with an RSVP re- required, right? Response, see who play, or please reply, right? There's an there's a RSVP at the bottom of the invitation. Please reply. All right, we have an RSVP right here, right? He says, come. All right, how do I need to respond to that now? Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, what does it mean to seek the Lord? Second part of verse 6 provides us with the answer. We have a parallelism going on here. The second line explains the first line. So let me read again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. How? Well, we call on him while he is near. Folks, that's not complicated. It's not complicated. To seek is to call on the Lord. Anyone can call on the Lord. You don't have to have a Bible college degree to call on the Lord. You don't have to be ordained minister to call on the Lord. You don't even have to have an high school diploma to call on the Lord. Anyone can call for help. Anyone. And so if your desire is to seek the Lord, then the first thing you must do is call on him. And it's safe to say that everyone here needs to call on the Lord for something today. Maybe you need to call on the Lord for salvation because you've never done that. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're going to put your trust in him. And if you've never done that, you've never put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, call on him for salvation. Come to him for the forgiveness of your sins. His pardon, his mercy, his forgiveness is for those who are aware of their sin and their evil ways. They're aware of their thirst. Max Lucado told of a friend named Joy who taught a Sunday school class in an underprivileged area. This teacher, Joy, had in her class a a timid nine-year-old girl named Barbara. And Max Lucado writes, he says, Barbara's difficult home life had left her afraid and secure. For several weeks in the Sunday school class, Barbara never spoke, never. While the other children talked, she was silent. While the other girls giggled, she was quiet, always present, always listening, always speechless. One day, the teacher, Joy, uh, was teaching about heaven, and she talked about seeing God. She talked about tearless eyes and deathless lives. Barbara was fascinated. She She wouldn't release the teacher, Joy, from her stare. I mean, she listened with hunger. And then she raised her hand and said, Miss Joy, the teacher was stunned. Barbara had never, ever asked a question. Yes, Barbara, what is it? Miss Joy? Is heaven for girls like me? Barbara couldn't be more qualified. See, some, you know, think that, you know, I'm just too messed up. 
I got too much baggage. I got all this garbage in my life. And so there's no way that's for me. You could never be more qualified. Heaven is for people like that. God will have mercy on unrighteous, undeserving people who seek him. Do you need to call on the Lord for salvation? All right, maybe that's not you. Perhaps what you need to do is you, you need to call on him right now because you've, you've kind of wandered away from the Lord as of late. You may need to call on the Lord to confess that, that you've kind of grown too comfortable with, with things you shouldn't be comfortable with. You call on him. You may need to seek him and call on him because you've looked to other things for satisfaction instead of God. You may need to call on him because as of late, you just kind of put him over here. You've forgotten him. You're just kind of doing your own thing. Or maybe you're way over your head in some situation right now. Call on him. Seek him. Might be strength you need. It might be the ability to say the right words. It might be courage or insight or discernment. You might need grace. Seek the Lord. Call on him. Perhaps, perhaps Mother's Day for you is one of the hardest days of the year. Call on him. He is near. He is near. Call on him. He's not aloof. He's not distant. Near. He can be found. Five-year-old Matthew was using his speak and spell computer. And he was concentrating intensely, typing words for the computer to say back to him. And Matthew punched in the word God. And to his surprise, the computer said, word not found. And he tried again. God typed it in. Same reply, word not found. With great disgust, with hands on his hips, he stared at the computer and told it in no uncertain terms. Jesus is not going to like this. <laughs> Jesus is not going to like this. Here's the thing. When you call on the Lord, when you seek him, you will find him. He is near. He's not playing hide and seek on you. He's near. You know, as the saying goes, if you aren't as close to the Lord as you once were, guess who moved? What do you need to call on the Lord for right now? Well, God is inviting us to seek him, to call on him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, I want you to notice something else about this. Do you notice the sense of urgency in the invitation? In other words, don't put it off. It was a cold winter day. A carcass on a large chunk of ice floated down the Niagara River. An eagle spotting this, he's flying overhead, he spotted this easy prey below and he descended upon this ice chunk and he, and he began to eat. And as he did, the water of the river began slowly pushing the ice uh, toward the falls. The eagle at that time, he could have easily just stretched forth his great wings and took off. But he did not want to leave his dinner there before him on the chunk of ice. So slowly he continued to eat, and as he waited, the river began pushing the flow faster and faster, closer and closer to the falls, until the roar of the falls began to echo through the canyon. Finally, with the mist of the falls rising above the eagle's head, he, he, he tried to stretch forth his wings to fly, but unknown to him, his feet froze to the chunk of ice. He was stuck. His fate was sealed. 
He struggled and struggled to get away, but he could not. And so over the waterfall went the ice and the eagle. He had waited too long to do something about his situation. Does that describe you? I'm just going to put this off. I'm, I'm okay. I got this. I don't need, no, I don't need to do anything different right now. I'm all set. It's moving, it's moving, and it's moving. Why the delay? Well, perhaps in some cases, it's because you really don't want to turn from some other things in your life. Notice what seeking the Lord asks of you, verse 7. I want to read verse 6 again, then I'll pick up verse 7, okay? Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. How, verse 7 takes us there, let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely or abundantly pardon. Do you see it? To seek the Lord means we can't seek him where he's not found in sin. We cannot be seeking God and planning sin at the same time. Doesn't work that way. You need to seek the Lord for what it is you might even be up against this week. And you gotta turn for some other things, say, nah, I can't delay. I gotta I gotta lock in here. I need to go hard after him. For Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us, You'll seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. The psalmist says in Psalm 9:10. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, get this, have never forsaken those who seek you. Never forsaken those who seek you. Wow, let that sink in. Invitation of grace, an invitation with an RSVP. Thirdly, need to get here. It's an invitation, if accepted, can change your life. An invitation, if accepted, can change your life life. Look at me at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now these verses are often quoted to speak of our limited understanding of what God is doing and why he is doing it. And that is indeed true. But that is not the primary meaning here. It's not. We need to get closer to its context. The key words in verses 7 through 9 are the words thoughts and ways. Those two words combined show up 10 times in three verses. There is an obvious gap between the way we think and the way God thinks, right? And our ways and God's ways. So how is it possible to close that gap? I mean, how can my ways better reflect God's ways? How can my thinking better line up with his thinking? Verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now again, if you've been around in the Christian community, you already know what those verses mean and you kind of pull them out of this whole context here and go, I got this. That means when I'm in the mission field and I share God's word, it will never return empty. Maybe, sure, I can go with that. Not primary meaning. Not primary meaning. 
I want you to see what's saying here. There is a direct connection between his word and our thoughts and ways becoming more like his thoughts and ways. Church, church, it is here that God speaks his thoughts. It is here that God tells us of his ways. Right here. This book opens up to us things we would never know otherwise. Can you say, where would I be without this book? Just as rain comes down and nourishes the soil, so is the word of God. So if you come to him with your hunger and thirst, as we saw in verse 1, if you come to him and you seek him in these pages, you will begin to see your thoughts and your ways are more like his thoughts and his ways. Cannot have it otherwise. You discover that this book will do what it was intended to do in your life. Now, how do you know? How do you know that God's word is accomplishing its purpose in us? There are two strong indicators from this passage here that God's word is achieving its purpose. Now, most of the time, preachers, and I almost did it myself, stop at verse 11. No, we need verse 12, we need verse 13. Two indicators that God's word is achieving its purpose in his life, in your life. First of all, there's a response of joyful worship. Verse 12, you will go out in joy, you'll be led forth in peace, the mountain and hills will burst into song before you, all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Not literally, metaphorically. There's joy, there's worship. Whenever God's word accomplishes this purpose, and when it accomplishes this purpose in your life, it will result in greater worship of him. Are you seeing that in your life? Am I seeing that in my life? That's one indicator. Second indicator that God's word is achieving its purpose in your life. This is where, I said this at first, this is where it gets really hard if it hasn't already. This is where it gets really hard. The second indicator that God's word is achieving its purpose in your life is evidence of radical personal change. Verse 13, instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Scratch your head and go, huh? It's a rather strange word picture here. Let's grab it. When a little thorn bush is nourished by the rain, logic would say it will become a bigger thorn bush. Not a pine tree. When rain accomplishes its purpose on a little briar tree, logic would say it becomes a bigger briar tree. Not a different tree, a myrtle tree. I mean, have you seen rain fall on your little apple tree out back and it becomes, it grows peaches? No. What in the world is it saying? Well, unless I miss my guess. I believe this is a metaphor describing what happens to us when God's word reigns upon our lives. You don't simply become a bigger and better you. You become a radically different you. As your pastor, as your pastor, I want more for you 
then you just become nicer, church-going people. I mean, that probably would help, but that's not the ultimate goal. That's not our end game. I don't want just that. This invitation here is not just to tweak some things in my life. With no, no forsaking of, of self and other things. It's not, it's not what this is about. God's word, if it's to accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish in your life, there will be transformation. Is God's word doing that? I don't, I don't come up here every Sunday so you can just be bigger and better you. Is God's word transforming your life, what you hear it on Sunday morning, all your podcasts during the week? Anything else you go to for God's word, is it transforming your life, your thoughts, your ways, so that you're more like his thoughts, his ways? If it's not, it's not accomplishing what it's supposed to. Can't be any more blunt than that. And so your pride and and your anger and your lust and your bitterness and your loose tongue and your negative attitude, your selfishness, any of those places where self is in the place where God is meant to be, it's the power of God's word that can radically change that. Is it doing that? Is this book changing you? If not, why not? Do you say, I don't know where I would be without this book? I'm afraid I do know where I would be without this book. Do you see evidence in your life? I ask myself, do we see evidence in our lives that his ways and his thoughts are more our ways and our thoughts? Where do you start? Simply come. Come as you are. Admit some things, come as you are. A seminary professor, John Rogers, received a call late one cold winter night from a bus station in Washington. It was, a, it was from a young man who had grown up in a church that John had served uh, years before. He'd once even been an assistant in, in the church to, to Rogers, and his family, when the boy was growing up, had been very active in the church. This young man told Rogers that he'd gotten into the drug culture and he had lost touch with his family. He was out of work and he was out of money and he asked Rogers for some help. Acting with compassion, Rogers told the young man, you stay right where you are and I'll be there in a moment. Rogers got into his car, he drove through the snowy streets, he found the young man and he looked at him and this man was scrawny in body and his broken in spirit and he was a mess. They took him home. As a young man ate dinner, Rogers tried to get some understanding of, of his condition. And, and so he asked him, have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be of help to you in your troubles? And the young man said, no. It's been too long, he said, since I'd ever even thought about any of those things. And then the, then the young man brightened up and he said, you know, when I get myself together and I start coming back to church, I'm going to ask Christ to help me. All right, well, Rogers jumped all over that one. And he said, my friend, it will never happen that way. If you think that you have to get yourself together on your own, then come to Christ, you'll never do it. 
You're going to have to come to Christ as you are at this moment, and then he'll give you the strength to start getting things together. And maybe you're here this morning, and this is maybe the first time or a hundredth time, but you never really did anything with it, of an invitation that says you need to come, and you're going, I know, i got to kind of figure it all out first before I come to him. No, he says, come as you are. You go, no, 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 i got to clean this all up first. I'm sure everybody else in the church, look at them, they're all cleaned up. No, we're not. No, we're not. We just know the one who can help us. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're a believer, you put your trust in the Lord at some point in your life. God's been really drawing you to feast on him, but lately, you're kind of treating God as that religious garnish on the side of your plate. Perhaps you find yourself, I'm just trying to fit Christ in all the available slots of my all too busy life, and maybe you fit in here. No. Come to him, admit really where you're at. Invite Christ into that situation. Go hard after him for satisfaction. See where he takes you. Sometimes it's just an honest crack of the door and honest admission that's the starting place. You may just need to start there. I'm not going to say there's not going to be work you need to do, but let's get it in the right order. Come to him. He helps you with the work. Come to him. Call on him. Give it to him. Then he'll start helping you in the situation. Come as you are. Sometimes just an honest crack of the door and honest admission is the starting place. That we need to do. Church, I don't know where you're at. I don't know every one of you. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, I beg you, come as you are. Get that right. I'll talk with you. I'll talk with you. Don't worry about your dinner reservation. You'll get there. I'll talk with you. Come as you are. Or maybe you come this morning and you're like, I got this burden and I'm just heavy with this. I need to lay it down to the Lord and I haven't called on him and I want someone else to help me with that. I want, to, I want you to pray with me. I'll pray with you. And if I need others to help, I'll call you up. There's people in this room that come and help me to pray with you, male and female. Okay? I don't know what it is, but I beg of you, come as you are. See what the Lord does with that. Let's pray. God, there's so much here. And I hope with the volume of stuff, the important thread someone needs to grab a hold of this morning isn't missed. So as we sing this last song, Come As You Are, perfect for an invitation of people moving and saying, I got to do this. Nothing showy. Nothing to impress anybody else in the room. But simply to say, all pretenses aside, I come genuinely to the Lord for help in my situation or maybe for the first time to say, help me to get this. You work in the hearts. I trust you with that work. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.